think a lot of people just say, oh, that's an LGBTQ outlet. That's not necessarily for me or something that's like mine to be a part of. Well, I think actually, you know, the more informed you are, the more you read, the more you take in on your own time, the more you actually engage with the issues, again, on your own time, makes you that much better of a friend or a part of someone's community because you at least have some sense of what's going on and and what's maybe affecting them or impacting them in in their day-to-day lives. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Hey everyone, it's Danielle. My guest today is Wembley Sewell. She's the editor-in-chief of Them. Them, under the umbrella of Condé Nast, is a next-generation community platform by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Wembley was promoted to editor-in-chief last year after previously serving as executive editor. Before taking the helm at Them, she also worked at Teen Vogue, Refinery29, and Seventeen. Wembley, we're very excited to have you with us today. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. What is something that we can't Google about you that people should know or would be surprised to know? You can't Google this about me, but if you scrolled my Instagram, you'd see that. Could have been in a past life, probably a one-woman band. I play every single instrument I can get my hands on. I'm just obsessed with, with music. It's absolutely my outlet. So you have like actual real talent? Like you can play. <laughs> Yes, yes, confirm, confirm. I like to think of myself as a humble person, but yes, I have musical abilities as a real, a real talent. And I, again, I love it. I love it. A lot of people like would be obsessed with music, but have no ability. There's some beauty in that too. You know, you yeah. can sit back and enjoy, but I'm always like, oh gosh, like how could I play this Dua Lipa song, which is clearly like impossible for just, you know, the average casual player to, yes. to dive into. But uh, yeah, that's, that's me. Since Carly's not here today, I'll use her as an example of people who love to sing, but have no actual ability. (laughs) So I wanted to differentiate that. So Wembley, I want to go back to when you first thought about publishing. How'd you get into it? And is this always what you thought you were going to be doing when you grew up in quotes? Well, like I, I I just mentioned, I thought I was going to yeah. grow up to be a, a drummer. I was too into, you know, warp Tour for my own good. But I actually always thought I would end up making movies and making TV shows and things like that. Because when I was really, really, really young, my mom told me the story. I was always dissecting TV shows and looking for someone who looked like me. So just naturally, when it came time to pick out a school to go to and all of that in terms of college, I gravitated towards TV and film. And I actually, I won't call it an accident or anything like that, maybe a happy accident. When looking for what my first job was going to be, I ended up taking, you know, my traditional production background and translating it to what was at the time felt like this explosion of video programming on YouTube and, and that all of these, you know, magazines, traditional magazines were exploring. So I ended up getting my first job at Refinery29 on their video team. And that kind of 
got the ball rolling, if, if you will. I want to go back and talk about, you mentioned your mom. Yes. And also you talked about that you wanted to see someone that you could recognize in what was yes. out there. What were you seeing and what did you want to see? Well, when I was really young, I grew up watching the same programs as, as everyone, everyone else, you know. I was a big, this is not an official term or anything, but I was a big PBS head. I would get home from school and sit down and I was watching Sesame Street or Zoom or things like that. I wanted to see someone who looked like me. And I know that's so simple and you hear it from everyone. And while Zoom was definitely, I think, one of the more diverse shows I saw, when I finally saw that, I was like, oh, I could do this. I could make this. I could do more of this. And I know that's wild to consider that maybe somebody who's like six or seven is thinking about that. But I think... It's the same thing as when you have ice cream as a kid. You're like, oh, I want more of this. Like, that's how I felt watching TV, where I finally actually did see even one person that looked like me. So again, I think that that just stuck with me throughout my entire life and through even the things that I was doing growing up in, in school. You know, I was always making little movies with my friends and things like that. And, you know, in, in high school, I, I was always making documentaries about, about the clubs on campus and things like that. So... I feel like not in the realm of anything my other friends were concerned about or like interested in at, at that time, but I, I can look back and connect all the dots. And it sounds like you were raised to think that way. Like, did you have yeah. a, a family that was supportive of you questioning things? Absolutely. And my family is like one big melting pot. We have folks from all around the world at our, at our family gathering. So I think we're always just inherently looking at the world and having conversations about the world in a way that is natural to me. And I think obviously translates to how I approach work today and always try to make sure I'm not looking through a lens that is just, you know, centric to one place, one experience, one identity. So let's talk about today and the status of media and publishing. It's gone through a lot of change, even in yes. you know, the nine years since we started the skim. How do you think about kind of innovating in an industry that's going through an identity crisis itself? Sure. I mean, I think from my experience, even growing up, I feel like the relationship to media was us going to that one like hallowed aisle and picking up the magazine, devouring it when you got home. And that was kind of the end of the interaction. I mean, maybe you kept a certain, you know, ad or spread on your wall and, and that became almost like a tattoo for, the, for your teen years or something like that. But that relationship, I think, to, to publishing is completely transformed in every single way. And I think right now, if, if you're not having a conversation with your audience, if you're not considering your role goes behind beyond even the traditional masthead, then I don't think you're having a modern outlook on how publishing works. I think, like I said, it's a conversation. I think your audience, in some ways, at least in, especially in my case, where the work we do is so identity-driven, so intimate, so personal, the power of our platform lies as much in their hands as it does in my hands and in our staff's hands. And I think when you look at the kind of publishing jargon like engagement and UVs and, and how can you tell that your your content is resonating, I think titles that focus on on kind of having that relationship are 
much more equipped to take on this revolution of publishing than those who aren't or are not maybe mm-hmm. interested in, in that approach. Let's get into the kind of story of, of them. Sure. And I think it's interesting. You started off by saying you got into this because you wanted to see see someone that looks like you. And I guess taking that theme, how does it cross over into them? In some ways, this is such an obvious question. Of course, this was needed. Why do you think that it's almost new? In some ways, it seems like this obviously should have started years ago, but in other ways, it's so well-timed yeah. for you to be developing this now. Well, I think one of the really special things about it now, and one of the things that is imperative, and I do think other LGBTQ outlets have kind of adapted this lens to, is that for a long, long time, the LGBTQ media industry was very much so focused on affluent gay men. And when I was growing up and going to the secret corner of borders, like trying to figure out who I was or just anything I could get my hands on, I would pick up, you know, certain magazines and I'd be like, whoa, 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 this is not what I'm feeling. This is not what I'm thinking. This is not what I'm going through. This isn't me. So I think that even seeking out affirming media ended up not being an affirming experience at all. And I think now, again, going back to what I was talking about, about making sure that your audience feels like there's something for them, that they're a part of that conversation is the top of my priority. And so for me, diversity, joy, you know, all of all of these things that I think make up the vast beauty of our experience as a community have to be front and center in terms of our, our coverage and, and what we are as a platform. So because obviously your platform is so focused on that diversity and inclusivity, it is very much your, your mission statement. What have been some of the challenges, I guess, of, of bringing that over into the actual day-to-day of the workplace and the internal culture? Sure. I don't know. I wouldn't call it necessarily a challenge. I've always been excited about navigating what it takes to do something with a little bit of a different approach. And I think luckily that's been really well received, especially like at a legacy media kind of company. I think if anything, we're in a position where because we're at a place where people have known the ropes since the beginning of this this century, quite frankly, you know, there are a lot of avenues through which we're able to, I think, more quickly actualize on a different way of doing things and say if we were an independent outlet. So I think what could be seen as a challenge of looking at things differently is actually a strength, especially at the height of, you know, what is a complete reinvention of the ways in which folks operate. That's interesting because that's exactly where I was going, which mm. is you, I mean, I looking at it, I'm kind of like, well, maybe this would have been so much easier to create standalone without sometimes the the baggage that comes along with doing it inside of a bigger legacy. While it's the the newest publication, obviously, within the Connie Nass umbrella, there's still so much support and and trust and freedom in, in the direction that we're, we're going in. And that's, to me, invaluable. Talking about Condé, there are a lot of big personalities there. And you are doing something different. You're doing something exciting. And you're also in charge of the newest brand under it. 
I'm just like, how do you get the confidence to like go into those <laughs> meetings? Do you, are you ever like, oh, oh, wow. Like I am pitching or representing the newest brand in front of all these people who have been doing this stuff yes. for literally decades. Yeah. That is a great question. I don't know that I've actually ever even been asked that. Really? Oh, that was like top of my, like, I'm thinking about myself as you. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm doing this new thing. I've got my way. I know this, like, and then to actually (laughs) be at that table and be like, oh, hi, Anna. Yeah. Well, it comes very naturally, you know? And like I said, everybody is incredibly supportive. So that's one of the most amazing parts about it. But I think I can't even make it about me or my confidence or anything like that, because everything I do, like I've mentioned is for our audience, for our community. Like it's, it's bigger than just me showing up to a table, you know? And I think maybe it's some just like gentle, innate, like armor or something like that. I don't, I don't know the right way to describe it, but knowing that them's ultimate mission, them's ultimate goals, the direction that it's going in, the, the wider mission that it serves just helps helps me keep that in my eyesight at all times. And it makes it impossible not to show up at at my best, you know, whenever I'm pitching something new or exploring a new topic. And it's just like, also everything is so urgent, so important, so of the now that it makes this work. Well, obviously it has its challenges. It makes it so rewarding. So the reward of knowing that I can advocate for someone or can usher in a new way of approaching content or introduce a new contributor or bring new talent into the fold. I guess that instills a sense of confidence that you're, that you're talking about. And one of the ways, you know, you've made your mark has been through social channels focused on the places that you've worked, you know, before them, people who are looking to foster an inclusive community and create engagement on social, like, where do you start? That is a tough (laughs) space and everyone's trying to figure out how to do it. Can you share some learnings? Well, one of the things that I've noticed even throughout the past year is this idea of sharing your own platform and, and passing the mic and inviting you have whatever amount of followers and you invite someone in to have a conversation with you or you kind of can create a space where you're not just centering yourself or your own lens or your own perspective. I think that's the entire point of community and community building. So I think the more you can kind of create relationships with other creators that you admire and those lines of collaboration in a way that feels authentic and organic to your voice, the things that you're interested in, because I also, I think people can sniff out a mile away when you're just trying to tap into every single (laughs) conversation. And that begins to feel like a bit cheesy and a a bit almost like you're trying to capitalize off of all of these different issues that are going on in the world. So I think pinpointing the things that really matter to you and, and identifying the folks that you think are in lockstep with your own voice, your own vision can help create really amazing content on your own social channels, foster community, and ultimately be really informative for larger cultural change. For people listening to this that want to work on fostering a more inclusive community actually in real life, what are some advice for people listening that are going to hopefully take this back into their workplaces? What are some things that you think are some obvious and some, you know, not so obvious things that can promote change and inclusivity, especially focus on the LGBTQ plus community? Well, I think the most obvious 
right off the bat is not expecting that someone is going to sit there and educate you on everything. I think the second part of that, that's maybe a little bit less obvious or maybe a little bit less of a initial behavior or response is, is seeking out the media that you wouldn't necessarily think is quote unquote for you. For example, them. I think a lot of people just say, oh, that's an LGBTQ outlet. Like that's not necessarily for me or something that's like mine to be a part of. Well, I think actually, you know, the more informed you are, the more you read, the more you take in on your own time, and the more you actually engage with the issues on, on, again, on your own time, makes you that much better of a friend or a part of someone's community because you at least have some sense of what's going on and and what's maybe affecting them or impacting them in in their day-to-day lives. And while that doesn't mean that you're the best to speak on it or, or, you know, does always be bringing up conversation about those things, it goes a long way. And then another obvious one is that when, say, something happens that clearly is an event that is impacting, whether it's a queer community, Black community, you know, Asian community, I think the initial reaction from a lot of especially like white folks or folks that don't identify in that group is to check in. And I think the ways in which you check in are also important to consider. And I would love to hear more about that because... Sure, sure. Because I, yeah, I know a yeah. lot of folks get the 10 texts and it's it's like, you know that that is well-meaning at its core, but even that experience can be a lot. So one thing I, I will say is it doesn't always have to be like this immediate kind of strange knee-jerk kind of reaction text. I think, you know, consider your relationship like with the person. Don't be weird about it. I think it's simple, you know, like thinking of you or like, you know, even asking like if they want to like do something later rather than the like, hey, checking it, like mm-hmm. is, I think goes a long way. Well, I like the advice of like, don't be weird about it. Cause I think yeah, that actually goes a long way. people overthink it. Like people totally. really overthink it. And if, you're a good person who truly cares, it's going to come out much more natural than like thinking like, oh gosh, I have to say something because this thing just happened right this moment. So yeah, just like, don't be weird about it. Switching gears, let's talk about you as a boss. You're at the top job. What have you learned? Like, what are you really good at? And what are the things that you're like, I didn't realize I really don't like this or I've really got to work on this? Well, I think one of the misconceptions that a lot of people have about being the boss is that you just, you're getting things all the time and you're just saying, yes, no, yes, no, this, that, this, that, this, that. I actually think of myself as more of a collaborator than, you know, somebody who's sending out marching orders or things like that. I do everything from like helping with social captions to suggesting headlines and things like that. I'm not like just sitting in some <laughs> faraway office. Well, absolutely not now. And and delegating. I think in a really collaborative environment, that's the best thing a boss can be. But I'll admit, you know, and you ask like, oh, what could I do better? It's like learning to balance that because you don't want to be so hands-on that it's a hindrance, you know, at all or keeps folks from learning the skills that you've maybe learned along the way. So it's balancing how collaborative you can be like in terms of, you know, collaboration versus mentorship, I think. Speaking of mentorship, have you had a great support system or have you had mentors as you've gone along your professional journey? I think one of the best things about working at, you know, this company is that all of the editors are so supportive of of one another. So that has been an amazing part of this 
this uh, journey and makes it all all the easier to navigate the ups and downs and and everything that comes my way because I'm also obviously the youngest, so it's nice to nice to have all of these folks to to go to. You are, as you said, the youngest, and yes. you are in charge of the newest. Yes. Are are you like in awe of what you've been able to accomplish so far? Because I think it's amazing. Like, what are you most proud of? Sure. I mean, I could go on and on and not in a way that's like, oh, I'm I'm so proud of this. But I think when folks show up to work, there's so much of like, oh, you've gotten to this place in your career. But something that I don't even talk about that much is like, I'm also the first person in my family to go to college. So that in and of itself, big deal. Huge deal. Huge deal. So like there are things that like when somebody asks me what's is this the biggest accomplishment to you? It's not to say, oh, I'm not proud of this or anything like that, but there's so much that goes into someone's life that my, my parents also like had me when they were 18 years old. So like there are lots of things that make up a life that make quote unquote accomplishments seem even bigger. And to me, that's something that I kind of think about all the time is like looking at all of this through the eyes of my family. And I have a sister who's 15 years old and I'm kind of like, can I be an example to her? So that's something I absolutely don't take for granted. But then there's another part of my brain that's like, okay, well, if you start thinking that this is so great and you're so amazing, well, then that's when you kind of stop growing and and stop innovating because I think there's always more that can be done. And there's always ways for you to be a better collaborator, a better a better agent for, for wider change. So it's an interesting, again, balance. What's the age difference between you and your sister? How old am I? Gosh, I think it's, it's 12 years. 12 My sister years? and I are nine yeah. years apart. And I feel when I think about what we've done, I think about it really similarly yeah. in terms of how can I pass on what I've learned and also thinking about how much hopefully more she and her friends can do. Exactly. Exactly. And I actually think she's a big part of the reason why I worked at magazines like 17 and what led me to Teen Vogue. She actually celebrated her 13th birthday at the Teen Vogue office. I (laughs) decorated my office with balloons and things like that for her and things like that make me proud and I don't know. Maybe she'll teach me some TikTok uh, stuff. Are your parents, when they think about what you've accomplished so far, is it like, oh, we always knew she was going to be that? Was this surprising to the people that grew up with you? I don't think so. And that's not at all to toot my own horn. I just think I was like such a nerd growing up, really. Like my, the notes I would get on my report cards and things like that. And we were just like, what is this kid? Like, (laughs) what is she up to? So I don't think it's, I don't think it's surprising. But again, all of this, you know, I wasn't out to my family until the weekend before the press release for this job went live. So it was a big, it was a big transformation. And I feel like a lot of my own experiences And, you know, how I even navigate my own identity and how I become more comfortable with it from any day in in my life is kind of in in lockstep with what they're experiencing, too. It's a very intimate kind of experience. I'm leading something that's like very, very personal and very intimate to my own kind of story. And that's, I mean, such a, a fascinating thing to think about in the idea of wanting to be 
when people talk about bringing their whole self to work, and that could be a totally different topic, but the idea that you are, you know, actively applying to not, not just a job at a publication, to, but to lead something and design something yeah. like them and not be completely out to your family. What oh, I was, was so, I was so scared. Yeah. What was it like interviewing for that and knowing kind of like- and Knowing it, that was on the other yeah. side. Well, this is, I don't want to be too heady, but it, it, it again, it just kind of felt like a bigger calling. And, you know, everybody says there's never a right time to come out. And I was like, well, if I don't come out for this, you know, something I think could be so life-changing, not just for myself, but so many to have this kind of lens and again, general like collaboration with this wider team, um, then I'm never, (laughs) I'm never going to do it. Not never, but you know, it's like, what else is going to come along that's going to kind of spark this fire to make this big kind of life change? And so I did it. (laughs) And how'd it go? Like, how do you feel now looking back on that moment in your life? It's just, I think it's really interesting because I think I haven't fully even processed just that moment because I've been thinking about so many folks just even beside, beside myself that I'm, I'm going through it every day in, in bits and bits and pieces. And I think that's true for most people. And you don't just come out once either. You come out several times throughout your, your lives. You come out at grocery stores and, you know, at concert. So it's it's not a one-time event or anything like that. But I think in terms of the one, the one big, big coming out, definitely still like kind of month to month and day by day process. Wembley, I'm going to transition us to our lightning round. Okay. Quick round, quick question. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. I know after talking about all of that, I'll, I'll give you a break. Okay. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Oh, night. Absolutely night owl. I want to become a morning person. Trying every day. Last TV show you streamed or binge watched? I'm in the middle of the Selena series on Netflix. I have not tried that only because I love the movie so much. I don't yes, want anything yeah. to ruin it. I, in between, I, I I watched the movie, but I'm, I'm in the middle of that right now. When's the last time you negotiated for yourself? I feel like you're negotiating for yourself every single day. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure? I love especially in the summer, uh, Las Haras wine. So I joined a wine club and I do feel a little bit guilty about being in a wine club, but I love it. I think that sounds awesome. (laughs) What is the most used app on your phone? And like email doesn't count. And Slack doesn't count. No. Well, probably now Venmo because I'm kind of going out and and seeing some friends again. So (laughs) that's probably what it is. What is one word a direct report would use to describe you. I don't want to put words in their mouth. I would hope I would hope collaborative. Okay. Final question. Who is someone else we should have on the show? Oh, I love Pooja at Pitchfork. So if you haven't had Pooja, we have um, not. I would love to hear her on this. Great. Wembley, thank you so much. We really appreciate it and good luck with everything. Oh, thank you so much. It's been it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.